0: Hello there and welcome to the Pint-Sized Healing Podcast. My name is Max Thompson, let's get started. So today I am uh, joined by Bob on the po- podcast, and Bob is none other than my very own <laughs> mindfulness teacher. Well, not just mine, but uh, I am included in his, um, in his alumni, list of alumni. And uh, Bob, do you want to uh, introduce yourself a little bit further?
1: Thanks, Max. Yeah, and uh, I am here just for you, of course, absolutely. <laughs> 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 There's no one else. Uh, sure. So I'm a um, private practice counsellor uh, based in the UK, um, county of Suffolk. Um, I do operate online around the world as well. Um, uh, Corestones of my practice are around trauma resolution, uh, some psychotherapeutic processes, um, mindfulness to help facilitate CBT. Um, so that's kind of me. Um, actually, a little bit more background on that. Mindfulness came to me, uh, during the biggest crises in my life I think uh, and 47 years of struggle began to come to an end as a result of finding mindfulness and the, the gaps and the conduits of that produced so that's why I'm an advocate of of mindfulness.
0: Yeah because I, I mean <clears> I don't think any of us really come to this um, trauma healing story without having our own experiences. Um, I mean at least the people I meet in this, in this line of work. Um, we have obviously worked together on the, um, on your mindfulness course that I have, like I mentioned, that I'm an alumni of. And um, and so maybe it's a good idea to just really quickly take us through the cornerstones of what mindfulness is.
1: Yeah, it's great, I'd love to do that. Um, so yeah, the, the online mindfulness program that you attended and that's uh, open to anybody in the world really, Uh, Is for beginners and moderate users, I suppose, of mindfulness practice. Um, It's a good reminder if you're already practicing about the backgrounds and the the cornerstones of of the practice. But it's great as a a beginner as well. Um, So I'm not going into great detail. I'll just touch on the sort of order of play for Mm -hmm. a more science-based mindfulness practice. Of course, mindfulness comes from Buddhist practice and is reckoned to be over 2,500 years old potentially more, um, but the practice, as ever, is, is as relevant today, and probably more so than ever. Um, it doesn't really have a necessary religious, religious um, association affiliation, though you can be. I just happen to be fortunate to look like a Buddha. I'm, I'm, <laughs> actually, I'm actually not. <laughs> um, so, you know, the very first beginnings of, of practicing mindfulness is about maintaining attention, growing your attention and concentration. And why is that important? Because without having attention for what I'm thinking and feeling and my environment, uh, I can't find clarity about what it is that's happening. Is it someone else's behavior that's affecting me or what I think about their behavior? And asking philosophical philosophical sort of questions along that. But if I'm not aware as a result of um, my attention, then how can I know what I want to change? If I find myself going to the biscuit tin just because my family's gone out for a walk and I've just eaten beforehand, then there's a good chance that I'm incorrectly cognizing something from my past. And for me, that would be abandonment. So automaticity is the next thing after attention. And automaticity is all about 80% of our day is our waking day. Yeah. That's very much asleep. You know, we're sleepwalking around just doing the things we know how to do without thinking about it. Um, so that's, an area where we're we, able we to be hijacked by emotions and thoughts, or, uh, ruminations of the, of the future and regrets of the past, etc. Exactly. So it, it's a big one around automatic behavior. We're, we're gifted to be able to know how to brush our teeth, if you've got hair to brush it, and so on and so forth. <laughs> However, they are the times when we really must bring our senses into, into play and make it what we call in, in Buddha's terms, beginner's eye. So when I'm brushing my teeth, I'm, I'm looking at the color of the toothpaste. I'm, I'm really taking everything in the, the feel of the toothbrush, the noise of the bristles, the taste, uh, if there's any smell to it. Uh, the whole experience becomes a new experience. And while I'm doing that, I can't be anywhere else. So that's just one very quick example of, of automaticity being turned into a mindful practice. We can do right. it through eating, driving, walking, talking, dressing. There's every aspect of our life that we do automatically. We can turn into a more mindful moment if we wish to. And that becomes useful if we're becoming anxious or low or affected deeply emotionally Yeah, and we, don't, and we don't require that at this time, you know, we might be in the middle of a meeting or something like that. So we can choose to bring ourselves back to this moment become more grounded and, centered. and The next one is around judgment and uh, I find this personality trait, if you will, um, one of the most enduring and particularly with this kind of audience, I think, where any of us have suffered from childhood emotional neglect and abuse or other we're more likely to be quite fearful and then angry and very judgmental of others and situations. And I think the more judgmental we are about others and situations, the more judgmental it tends to reflect back on ourselves. Um, and so it's a really important but enduring one. I think of all the traits that I've been working on uh, since I was forty-seven, judgments is is the toughest because we necessarily need judgment, of course, you know, to keep us safe and to inform us about the world. But uh, doing that negatively, we must see both. Well, yeah.
0: And and we I think as survivors we do it from a yeah. from a skewed pers- perspective of the world, right? So, so we're judging against a system that is that is an inc- like an incorrect system.
1: Yeah, I mean we're looking at contrast. I mean what what's on the front of the magazine uh, compared to you know in the advertising media etc. Compared to what we have. Uh, so that can make us judge that we're not enough or we don't have enough unless we have the next model of car or the certain size house with a swimming pool or the certain wife or husband and so on and so forth. So judgment is a huge, huge subject. But yeah. um, with mindfulness, we can do it mo- you know, in small bites. We can catch ourselves through the day, uh, whether we're being kind, whether we're looking at both sides of a coin in terms of judgment. Um, and then another massive one, I think they're all massive really, but accept, <laughs> acceptance and in, in trauma and healing, I think acceptance is just, uh, a real swear word uh, at the beginning until people are at a certain point. And it's for no one else, of course, to introduce acceptance to yourself or to inquire that, or suggest and invite you to, to find acceptance. It's personal to every individual. Yep. Course.
0: I think acceptance um, and forgiveness in that sense for trauma recovery go hand in hand. Oh
1: yeah, yeah. Um, And I think, you know, acceptance branches out into, as you say, forgiveness and compassion. Yep. And figuring out how keeping something alive that was done to us, about us, um, serves us and whether it does and whether it continues to. And that's a huge subject, of course. So, uh, not probably for now. Um, Next one is one that's probably less um, powerful for this audience quite often, but it's about goals. And we all have goals, of course. but it is the goal just to feel a different way? Will it be all right when? I think that's a dangerous game that I certainly played for 47 yeah. years, I can recall. Um, we climb a mountain, we think it'll be all right when it gets to the top of that mountain, and then we look over it and it's see as we're exhausted wow. the, next, the next mountain. Next mountain. Yeah, wow. and this is this instant gratification that we can self soothe with at times and believe that things will be okay when we. When we get to these Once goals. Once we
0: get to the next but yeah.
1: And the problem is if we focus too hard on the goals, we miss the journey to the goal, of course. The irony is with mindful practice, I think you find, is that when you learn how to goal or orientate in a better way, it almost doesn't matter. You just innately know what you want and you go towards that in a kind way without um, defining yourself by the outcomes. But that's a very brief take on that one.
0: That's a, it's. This is very, uh, it's very funny that we mentioned this because I'm like, oh, that's right. I need to go back to the course and double check this part again because <laughs> <laughs> I'm in one of these goal-setting predicaments.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and of course it, it can leave us feeling that we're not achieving something, you know, um, when actually every day at every moment we're achieving something. There was a good analogy that somebody wrote once uh, saying that if you imagine life uh, and ourselves being on a large coil okay and we're sitting on this piece of this coil and every day we're higher up the coil and we're looking down at previous experiences but often when we feel anxious or low we can say oh i'm back there again you're not you're higher up you're at a, you're you're at a new place of learning
0: well and i also always say like even if you like say you've you know you've experienced abuse from someone and you you know a partner that you were with for 10 years and then you get into a new relationship that also turns out to be manipulative or toxic or but it only takes you two months to um to recognize that behavior then i mean that is a big learning curve. That is great, right? That's a result.
1: Very good. Thank like you.
0: Ten years this time.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's so common in the therapy room here that somebody will say to me, "Yeah, I, I knew that. You know, the flags came out when I met this person, and yet I ignored them." <laughs> um, but even knowing that is learning. Exactly. I'm more aware now because I've recognized that I made a mistake again or I didn't listen to my intuition or whatever.
0: So, well, and it teaches you that your intuition might be worth listening to the next time.
1: Indeed. And, and that's a compassionate view that we can have for ourselves instead of actually kicking ourselves when we get it wrong. The last thing we need when we, when we make a mistake is to then beat ourselves up about that. Um, that's not really healthy. We just need to yeah. treat ourselves as we would treat a small child who's made a mistake. And that is not to kick them around all over the place, but to actually bring them closer and let them know how they might be able to operate in a different way and that they're good enough regardless. Uh, yeah, but
0: behaving. we tend to be... Uh, uh, we tend to be Miss, uh, Bull to ourselves, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put ourselves in the... Lock ourselves in a cabinet somewhere and punish ourselves greatly for the smallest mistakes that we make. But um, we've been taught
1: that well, haven't we? I mean, yes, very well. Yeah. So we again, mindfulness allows us to have attention for that, to look at that, and observe, become the observer of that, um, that narrative that we can cripple ourselves with. Um, so that's the double dart syndrome. You know, the first dart is when we make the mistake and get hurt. The second dart is what we make of that. And, and attack ourselves again for making that mistake. We don't need to do that. Um, so compassion for others as well as, as ourselves, and that, as we touched on earlier, so it goes into the forgiveness aspect. Why would I forgive? Well, because you're carrying the toxicity, expecting someone else to, to die as a result of it.
0: Well, that's the thing, you know, It's I don't think forgiveness is about the other person, it's all about yourself. Absolutely, um,
1: yeah.
0: You know, carrying stuff around with us is um, it's exhausting. <laughs>
1: It is. It is. I, I use the analogy of carrying a huge black sack around behind us and all the bricks in it are our experiences, our negative experiences. Why don't we start unloading them and, and leaving them behind? We know what we know. We let go of so much other stuff. Um, we hold on to stuff, I think, because it doesn't feel safe to let go. We, we don't trust ourselves to remember. But we'll remember. <laughs> and often, oh, yes. Of course. Um, the most complicated one, I think, is the ego. That's uh, in week seven of my course uh, and being able to separate ourselves from the ego. And that's a massive, massive challenge. I think, um, the ego of course always wants more and goes back to the It'll be all right when, you know, if I could just get this nicked here and if I draw lots of contrasts and so on. Um, but we're not, we're not our experiences. You know, the ego is about a is a, is a construct of all our experiences, uh, conditioning and teachings and negative behaviors, but it's not us. We're not our past. Um, we're not even our thoughts and we can have thoughts because we don't believe them all the time depending on what they are and, and then in week eight we, it's about integrating all those things you know the automaticity of the attention the judgment the acceptance the goals the ego and compassion uh, and learning how to build that into your life and it's it's in some ways it's a very lonely but deliberately self-centered compassionate act to act mindfully to be mindful um to be present here now rather than those, all those reminders that are waiting for us when we're on autopilot. Um, well, yeah,
0: and us. I think, you know, and especially when you have a traumatic past, it's so easy to live in that past or to live in, in all the, the possible things that could be going wrong tomorrow, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I always say, like, stop, like <laughs> stop building bridges for rivers that you might never have to cross, right? Because you're carrying those things around with you and they're heavy because they're bridges. And it's exhausting. Right. Uh, and, and nine out of ten times when you get to a river, there's like other people there that will help you build the bridge.
1: That's, that's a really great analogy. Um, I think, you know, we, we can have ten events happen through the day that we can recall at the end of the day as we're going to sleep, which I think is a great practice, by the way, if we do it non-judgmentally. <clears throat> but we'll forget the nine good things, of course. And we'll remember the bad thing. And, the, and that, that's by design, you know, by evolutionary practice. If we, if we didn't remember something that was potentially negative, it would be life-threatening for us or we could be cast aside from the tribe or we could be attacked by another tribe or or a predator or whatever.
0: Yeah, exactly, where the lion will eat us. But, of course, in today's world,
1: it's so ambiguous, so many different calls for our attention, so many people acting um, in divisive ways quite often. We have to be able to individuate ourselves and understand where this person's coming from that would appear to be hurting me um if it's in terms of words and actions for somebody who's a colleague or something like that rather than family member
0: well and i think as well that um especially once you've experienced you know abuse um or neglect in in a setting like say by you know parental or or uh, spousal then you you know you may see some of that behavior in someone that you're working with but it's not so much an issue because those people, you know, you maybe see them five minutes a week.
1: I think that's true, but you're also in a different persona then, aren't you? You're, you're the exactly. colleague. Yes, you're
0: the- exactly. You have a completely different, there's a different uh, power play, right? Yeah, yeah. You a colleague. You know, the more power someone has in your life, the greater their influence, right? So a manager will have more influence than a coworker most of the time.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, because they have more power over you and that's at the end of the day you know abuse is just about power anyway and control
1: it is and the more abusive and offensive people are the more frightened they are and insecure they are of course but Uh, i think the only caveat to what you're just saying there in the workplace for instance is if somebody should remind you not just by their actions and their words but maybe literally physically remind you or their words or their mouth or their (laughs) you know the way they speak might remind you of someone that that was abusive in your past. And that's a challenge. I mean, that's a great opportunity for learning to separate from what was the past and what is today.
0: And I think where at least where mindfulness has been very helpful for me is that you, you, because you're more aware of what's going on um, in the moment, it makes you more aware of where your triggers are. And I always say you have to embrace your triggers because those are, you know, as annoying as they are, they are also, the navigation of what you're doing right yeah, yeah. they are how you figure out where you need to heal um so you know once you see them head for head for those babies and deal so, with them right
1: this is <laughs> uh, as, as it was said in buddhism you know suffering teaches us it comes to teach us and we wouldn't hand somebody a load of suffering yeah here i'm going, going to learn from this but yeah. the suffering we've had and we've been given without being invited to receive it that that can teach us so much Again, if we have that uh, that kind of equanimity of thought around the meaning of abuse and neglect and suffering for ourselves, we can remove ourselves, we can become that observer again um, and we can figure out what it can mean for us. What? How can I grow from this? How can this be? A, what can I take that's positive out of this? Yeah. And I think uh, everybody's... Everybody's neglect and abuse and trauma is, is individual to them, of course, and there's, there's no competition. For me, I've been blessed to be able to come to terms with, I believe, you never quite know, with just about everything that that's, I've been involved with. Um, and I can find the gift in pretty much everything it's not just positive happy clappy thinking
0: no but it's not it's not like i think that that stuff is not about pushing down just in general positive thinking shouldn't be about pushing down the more complicated stuff it means working through the more complicated stuff yeah yeah um and you know, week one after you've escaped an abuser, you're not going to be thinking about the positive lessons that abuse has brought to your no, life. No, this is um, actually the term of acceptance, isn't it? Exactly. And, yeah. and honestly, you're, and that's a totally fine, right? Like, you, you're not, and, and when I say you're not there yet, I've, I don't mean, oh, that sounds super patronizing, but I don't mean it in that way at all. Like, we need to go through the whole process of healing of course Um, and it's it sometimes it can be quite complicated to be in that be okay with where we're at while at the same time feeling that drive to move forward feeling that invitation to our you know extending the invitation to ourselves to improve our lives while simultaneously being okay with where we are
1: (laughs) yeah and there's that observer that's standing outside of ourselves again I think that touches on an area that I didn't sort of explain in my background or my introduction and childhood emotional neglect and it's another passion of mine and another cornerstone of my work here in the therapy room because of course the child that we were in the first 10 years or so is going to be the adult that we're going to become to some degree. You know, all our experiences after the age of 10 are going to be based on the shaky foundations or a solid yes. foundation depending on what we've got. I meet very few people with a solid foundation. I think that the beauty of the work that I do in terms of trauma resolution and childhood emotional neglect is that we can reparent ourselves. We can heal from the traumas um, to a large degree. We can make ourselves responsible, become responsible for healing from the traumas and reducing the meaning, but never forgetting the, the messages, of course. <clears throat> um, and reparenting ourselves so, to, so that when we feel the pain, like the analogy I used earlier, we can go to the child in us and, and offer him or her love, compassion, acceptance, attention, unconditionally, uh, and that really is a powerful job. I think that inner child and reconciliation of being a child, whether you subscribe to it or not, you can call it the emotional brain, if you will, um, is incredibly powerful work. Tears, you know, tissues are required. Yes, that work,
0: I think in general, just you know, as we as we get away from abuse um there's gonna be a couple of boxes <laughs> of tissues that, that oh, we are yeah. going to have to use uh, yeah. at some point uh <laughs> yeah. saying yeah. but it's funny because like you say you know you become you can become the observer and one of the um examples i often use as well when it comes to setting boundaries is is um that, you know our our tendency to over justify why we're saying no to something yeah and so um as i listen we all i still do this from time to time and i think every human being sometimes over explains themselves um you know because we're tired or whatever um but i used to do it all the time you know and i would say like oh do you want to have you know I would say to my husband, like, oh, do you want this for, for um, dinner? And he goes, no, no, I'd rather have whatever, pasta. And I go, well, you know, we're going for Italian tomorrow. And, and I'm going to this whole big, long 15-minute explanation as to why I didn't want to have pasta instead of just saying, "Nah, don't feel like it, right? Which is really all the, I mean, it's... It's, no, not it's not even important. that it's not even an important choice really sure. in a day yeah. right like are we having pasta or rice um
1: yeah i know, think that comes out classically and people say what would you like and it's i don't care you, you choose
0: you choose yeah exactly
1: <laughs> i am so guilty of that i am so guilty of that and then it's saying so no to
0: every problem, single
1: situation yeah, yeah. <laughs> <then you laughs> i've got this horrible meal that we didn't really want yeah where do you want but to go it, for dinner i don't care
0: but it's so funny when you go into that kind of over justifying oh and it took me a little while and some nudges from from Stuart as well but um but at some point you hear yourself going into that kind of mindset where you're like it's almost like you're justifying your you know your existence, your right to have an opinion about what you want to eat tonight um and just because you're more aware of and it's not just you're more aware of that's the behavior that you're displaying but you i think it expands into being more aware of oh what are the situations when i'm doing that right yeah. because you start to be aware of maybe you are maybe you do it more when you are hungry or maybe you do it more you know when I don't know, a certain event happens on that day, right? So if you always have a meeting with your manager on a Thursday, and it always happens on a Thursday, right? So you start to kind of recognize these patterns because you come, become more aware of where you're at.
1: Very good, very good. Absolutely right, yeah. Without that awareness, we can't know. We just continue having the same problems the same day, the same week, month after month, year after year. You're absolutely right. That's, that's a very good explanation. Very good.